That's what we're going to do. We're going to be honest. Welcome. The Lord be with you. We're glad that you're here. Um, I, I just want to, I want to say welcome to you. We're going to be honest over the next six weeks. We're going to answer, uh, we're not, not going to answer. We're going to talk about the questions, the why questions. Um, and one of the things that would really help you is if you'd fill out your communication card and go back to one of the people in the polka dotted pants out there in the community life booth and just turn it into them and say, hey, I want to do one of these on my own. You could get a DVD. It's got me teaching for six weeks on this subject. And you got these, you got an easy little program guide. It's about a half a page a week. You could do this with your friends, your family. You could just get your own little group together, your neighbors or whatever. Um, just take it to them on the way out. And I think it'd really help you as you talk things through because we're just going to be honest. From the very beginning, our little brains ask these questions, don't they? Why? I mean, why does that man in a wheelchair, why does Uncle Fred snore? Why do giraffes have long necks? Why is the government shut down? We, we have those questions, right? over and over again. Why does it seem like everything is working better now that the government is shut down? We have those questions. <laughs> Why? I had a lot of those questions growing up. Didn't you? I mean, pardon me for aging myself just a little bit, but I was always questioning why if the professor on Gilligan's Island could make a radio out of a coconut, he couldn't fix the hole in the boat and get him home. I mean, you ever think about that? I mean, do you know that my British son-in-law had never heard of Gilligan's Island before? Do you see what happens when communism takes over a country? That's what happens. <laughs> I had a lot of questions growing up. If Jimmy cracks corn and no one cares, then why is there a song about him? Why does round pizza come in a square box? Why is it people say they slept like a baby when babies wake up every two hours? Why do people go up into tall buildings, pay money to look in binoculars, and look back down at the things they just left? Why do toasters have a setting on them that burns the bread to such a horrible crisp that no human being would ever eat it? Why, why is it even there? Why do we sing take me out to the ball game when we're already at the ball game? If con is the opposite of pro, then is Congress the opposite of progress? I ask you. I want your opinion. I want your opinion. We're going to do this uh, for the next six weeks, so I want you to tweet to me at YParkView, hashtag YParkView, and throw out your favorite why questions. I've already got a bunch of them on, on uh, Twitter. Just You don't need to put my name. You can if you want. It doesn't matter. Just YParkView. I want to get a list of these. Because if we're going to be honest, we have, to, we have questions. Somebody needs to put these things together. And I'm not going to try to sew everything up into nice little neat answers for you. I'm going to give you my best shot, but I'm going to tell you at the end of the day that life is not neat and that I don't have all the answers. And I'm going to tell you that if you're a person that thinks you have everything all lined out, this church is probably not for you because I don't believe that. People that think they have everything figured out are either at, at best dull and boring. At worst, they're arrogant. And that's not who we are. Jesus always welcomed seekers. So if you have questions, our goal is not to give you trite answers, not to give you cliches. All right, I'm, I, I really, cliches work in football. They don't work in Christianity. If I'm ever in the situation where I've got some bad things going on in my life and you say to me, well, Tim, you just need to let go and let God. I'm going to say, how about I let go with a right to your face and let God make it feel better? Because that doesn't help me. You, do you agree with me? It doesn't help me. 
I, I need to be honest and we need to gut through these things. I mean, the worst thing that Job's friends did were to start to give him answers. So if you're hurting today, if you've got questions about this stuff, I'm not going to stand up here and go, well, you're dumb if you don't believe this. This is how it is. Because I understand where you're coming from. And for the next six weeks, we're going to talk about the why questions. Why God? Why Jesus? Why should I believe in the Bible? Why is the discrepancy between science and, and the Bible there? I mean, why, why, is all, why are all these things happening? First weekend in November, we're doing why baptism so that you can find out a little bit more about why God gave us this. And we're going to have a mass baptism service. And we encourage you to come and be a part of that and to join us, if you will. And we start today with the most important foundational question. You have to start here. Why should I believe in God in the first place? And I have a one-word answer for you that no atheist has ever been able to argue. Why should I believe in God? Bacon. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Come on. There is no way that the insides of a pig could have evolved into such a masterpiece of culinary delight. That's all I can say. So let's have communion now. We'll go home. We're all done. I mean, just a couple of bacon things, I promise. Just a couple, like uh, this cartoon up there. Give me a minute. I'm thinking fountain of youth, fountain of bacon. I got to decide, right? Let me think about it. Uh, and if you got babies, we have a way to train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they, isn't that awesome? I mean, how do you know what's your dog's treat and what's your baby's treat? I don't know what the difference is. All right. The question of why God might be the most important question that you'll ever ask, because how you answer that question of why God, why should I believe in God, affects everything. Mortimer Adler, one of the great thinkers of the 20th century, said it this way. It is the most important question a person could ask, because more consequences follow the way you answer this question than any other question in life. It kind of sets things on a track, right? 90% of Americans say they believe in God. But there are some people out there, some very famous people, who say they don't believe in God. Richard Dawkins is considered the Einstein of our era, and he is a, a, a complete atheist. This, this is his quote. He says, religious beliefs are irrational. Religious beliefs are dumb and dumber. In other words, they are super dumb. That's his mathematical equation. All right, and on, on the other side, the Bible says that only uh, a fool would say in his heart, there is no God. So somewhere in between Richard Dawkins and the Bible, there's this vast area because they can't both be right. So how you answer the why God question starts to affect everything else along the way. So we're going to talk about it today, and let me start by telling you that it's going to take faith. What is faith? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And it's going to take faith to believe Richard Dawkins and it's going to take faith to believe the Bible. I just got to assure you of that right up front because you're not going to see it and it's something that you can only hope for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Can, can I just camp there for a second? Just seek Him is all you need to do right now. If you're, if you're a skeptic, if you're not sure about this whole thing, just seek Him and He will reward you. I can promise you that right up front. So what are some evidences for believing in God? Here's the, here's the problem. Some of us are you know, thinker people and some of us are feeler people. 
All right, usually in a couple, there's one of each, right? But you, some of you are thinkers, some of you are feelers. So I'm going to do some thinking and then some feeling evidences for God. Let me start with the thinking things, all right? Classical arguments about thinking about God and why we know that God is there. And there's a whole lot of them. I'm going to sum all these up into one that I think kind of is the overarching principle for why your head ought to be able to believe there is a God. And again, let me be sure to assure you that there's no way that you can test God. Some naturalists would say, well, you can't test God, so therefore He isn't real. But that's not, a, that's not really true, because you can't test Napoleon, but we know that Napoleon was real. I mean, you, you can't test love, you can't prove love, but we know that love is real. Just because it can't be tested in scientific method doesn't mean it's real. Scientific method are things that are testable and things that are repeatable. You can't go back and, 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 and rerun the beginning of the universe. You just can't do it. You can't go back and repeat the assassination of Lincoln. It might have been vampires. You don't know. So to say that love or fear is not real because you can't put it in a test tube is, to me, to borrow a phrase, super dumb. There are a lot of things that we believe in that can't be tested. If, if I were to tell you that the uh, thermonuclear reactor in our basement had a leak, uh, we don't really have one, but if I were to tell you that it had a leak and I was worried about radioactive waves, but I'm using my iPhone and I'm scanning and I don't see any radioactive waves in here, would you feel more secure? I don't think so because you pretty much know they haven't invented a Geiger counter app for the iPhone yet. They will someday, but they don't have one yet, right? So, so because I'm using the wrong instrument, I can't test it. If you use the wrong thing, it doesn't work. My brother-in-law, Jack, um, his father passed away when he was younger, and his mom and his aunt have uh, kind of been just connected at the hip the rest of their life. And they spent, let me, let me just say it this way, too much time in the checkout counter at the grocery store reading the headlines. Okay? So, so, they're, so they're driving along one day, and Jack said, all of a sudden, somebody yells something, and they pulled something out and put it over their head. And I, and I, and I looked up, and I, I realized that we were driving under power lines. And, and somebody yelled something, they pulled, pulled something up and put it over their head. And, and he said, what just happened? <laughs> and they said, oh, well, we read that those power lines give off electromagnetic waves and they could cause brain cancer. They can mess with your brain. And he said, well, what did you put over your heads? And they pulled them back out again and they were Frisbees. <laughs> and he said, and what was the code word? And they said, hard hat. So every time they would drive under the power lines... Somebody would yell, hard hat, and they would grab their Frisbees and put them over their heads to protect them from the electromagnetic waves. And now you know that's ridiculous. Everybody knows you have to have aluminum foil over the Frisbee <laughs> if it's going to do any good. Am I right? right? What I'm saying is just because, you know, just because God can't be put in a test tube doesn't mean it's not real. There are electromagnetic waves coming down from there, but using a Frisbee is not going to help you. This is how this works. And the most important thing from a head knowledge issue to me is the law, the very simple law of cause and effect. That's all I'm going to talk about with the head is cause and effect. All right? If there is a note on the door, I know that somebody put it there. If there is a picture on the wall, I know that somebody hung it there. If this building is here, it's because somebody planned for it to be here, and the architect designed it, and the builder built it, and that's why it's here. A tornado didn't show up one day and whip all this in, all right? What we know is, as the great theologian Billy Preston once said, 
nothing from nothing leaves nothing. But something from nothing is impossible. It's impossible. The universe operates by cause and effect. So you have two choices. You have an unexplained Big Bang that just happened, or you have this one. In the beginning, God. Now, both of them are going to take faith. I can't prove God to you either. I can't put him in a test tube. We can't go back. We have to admit that God came from somewhere outside of our realm, time and space, and I don't know where he started, and I don't know how he got there. One way or another, we start with a big bang or we start with a big creation. That's how it goes back to. But for me, it's a lot easier to look around at the complexity of the universe and the rings around Saturn and the intricacies of tiny neutrons and think to myself, you know what? Somebody must have done this. And the more we study science, the more we see that to be true. One of my favorite books on this subject is The Language of God by Francis Collins. Why I like this is because um, I don't agree with his theology on evolution. He's a theistic evolutionist. He believes that everything evolved, that God started the process and that it evolved. And I, I don't agree with that. But he's a scientist. He's very, very smart. And he still believes that God started the process. As a matter of fact, he's so smart, he was one of the two guys that mapped the human genome. He's one of the two guys that helped the project that figured out DNA. You understand this? And he was at the unveiling of the map of the human genome in 2000 with President Clinton, and here is what he wrote in his book about Clinton's speech. Here's the interesting thing. All right, these are all scientists and politicians. President Clinton's speech began by comparing the human sequence map to the map that Meriwether Lewis had unfolded in front of Thomas Jefferson in that very room 200 years earlier. Clinton said, without a doubt, this is the most important, the most wondrous map ever produced by humankind. But the part of his speech that most attracted public attention jumped from the scientific to the spiritual. Because Clinton said, today we are learning the language in which God created life. We are gaining ever more awe for the complexity, the beauty, and the wonder of God's most divine and sacred gift. Collins writes, Was I, a rigorously trained scientist, taken aback at such a blatantly religious reference by the leader of the free world at a movement such as this? Was I tempted to scowl or look at the floor in embarrassment? No, not at all. Matter of fact, I had helped write the speech. When it came time to add a few words of my own, I echoed this sentiment. It's a happy day for the world. It is humbling for me and awe-inspiring to realize that we have only caught the first glimpse of our own instruction book previously known only to God. What's going on here, Collins writes? Would a president and a scientist, why would a president and a scientist charged with announcing a milestone in science feel compelled to invoke a connection to God? Aren't the scientific and spiritual worldviews antithetical? Shouldn't they at least avoid appearing in the East Room together? What were the reasons for invoking God? Was this poetry? Was it hypocrisy? Was it an attempt to curry favor from believers? No, not for me. And then this is what he wrote. I want you to see this paragraph. Quite the contrary. For me, the experience of sequencing DNA, the human genome, and uncovering this most remarkable of all texts was both a stunning scientific achievement and an occasion of worship. One of the most brilliant scientists of our time. Both. 
Why? Because for him, the more he looked at DNA and how complex it was and how it all wraps together, the harder time he had thinking that it could have possibly just happened by chance. Do you know that the earth is the perfect size as a planet? Because of our gravitational pull, 50 miles outside, there's a ring of nitrogen and oxygen outside of the earth's surface that makes it absolutely the perfect place to live. If the earth was a little bit smaller, it'd be like Mercury and we wouldn't be able to survive here. If it was a little bit bigger, it would be like Jupiter and we wouldn't be able to survive here. It's the perfect size and it's the perfect distance from the sun. I took my wife to Hawaii for our 20th anniversary, which is dumb for me to bring up because our 30th is coming up and I have no plans so far. But I'm going to bring it up anyway. And when we went to Hawaii for our 20th anniversary, when we left Hawaii in February, it was 85 degrees. When we got back home to Chicago, it was minus 15. It was a bad day to love living in Chicago. A hundred degree shift from the time we got on the plane to the time we landed. And you say, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, but we can survive that. Because if the earth was any closer to the sun than it is, even though it is the perfect size, if it was any closer, we'd all be Kentucky Fried Humans. There's no way we could survive. And if it was any farther away from the sun, even a little bit, only the cheesehead and the Eskimos could possibly survive. You see what I'm saying? So we stay here at 93 million miles away from the sun, this perfect place, rotating at 67,000 miles an hour, rotating on our perfect axis so that the entire world gets warmed and cooled in exactly the right way so that we can have life. It's almost like it was planned or something, isn't it? And you could talk about any form of life. You could talk about any of this stuff. You could talk about microscopic life. You could talk about the galaxies that we're just now finding out about. And it just doesn't make any sense that it could possibly have accidentally evolved. You ever have a Rubik's Cube? I got my Bears Rubik's Cube today. I think this is good mojo. How many of you have solved a Rubik's Cube? Both you geeks, put your hand up. Okay, good. All right. I mean, I just never had one. Because, like, I, I, you know, if somebody gave me one, I'd be like, boom, boom, smash. Because I, I got ADHD. I mean, a Ruby's Cube and ADHD it just doesn't work. It's like fishing. It's never going to happen, okay? I, I want to I get something done. But, but even if you know how to do a Rubik's Cube, let's just say that I mess this thing up. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to mess with the mojo. But if I mess this whole thing up right now and, and completely mixed it up, what are the, how long would it take me to put this together if I was blindfolded and I had no idea if it was just chance? Sir Frederick Hoyle, one of the great astronomers of the 20th century, Nobel Peace Prize nominated scientist, he, most people think, was overlooked for the Nobel Peace Prize because of his belief in a creator, because this is one of his illustrations. He said, the chances that one single cell, that one single amoeba, one simple little chain of amino acids in one little cell, in one little amoeba. For it to come to chance, by chance, would be the same odds as Tim Harlow blindfolded trying to put together a Rubik's Cube and having it turn out. He said, if I did one move a second, it would take me 1.3 trillion years on average to accidentally get the Rubik's Cube where it needed to be. One move a second. Now, you might not, not have noticed, but that's longer than I plan on being alive. So what he was saying was, it's scientifically impossible for one of the chains 
of amino acids in a single cell to have evolved by accident. And the irony is there's 200,000 chains of amino acids in a single cell. So that's 200,000 times 1.3 trillion. When it comes to the possibility of all of this stuff just happening, it's going to take faith. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him or gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened and they claimed to be wise, but they became fooled. God, God gave us all of this stuff just to look at, and we can think ourselves into a real problem if we don't pay attention to it. And, and the next time you press the button on your garage remote or the next time you pick up your cell phone and start to make a cell call, remember that you still believe in things that you can't see. You still believe in things that you don't even understand. And you know that they're there. All you've got to do is look around. When you hit the button and the garage door goes up, you know that something was there. Why God? Well, I got other questions, you know, other questions I need answers to. Like, if Wiley Coyote could afford all that Acme junk, why didn't he just buy dinner? Right? I mean, come on. Do we have to watch this over and over again? Or how about this? Did you ever notice that the alphabet song and Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star are the same tune? Do you know how long it's going to take you to get Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star out of your head now that I just put it there? You have questions too, don't you? Let me give you some heart answers, okay? Some heart answers today. Brad Pitt was interviewed in uh, Time Magazine, and he said, if you ask me, I say toss all this. We have to find something else. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain, and I'm sitting on it. I'm telling you, that's not it. I'm the guy who has everything, and I know. I'm telling you that once you have everything then you are just left with yourself. It doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. I, I mean, sometimes I think the head stuff is good for us to be thinking about, but a lot of times I think for me the bigger issue is my heart and what my heart feels. And what Brad is saying is, you know what, there's got to be a different answer out there than what I've seen. And Brad knows the answers. He was raised in the church um, he was raised in Springfield, Missouri. My mother-in-law and Brad's mom were in a Bible study together in Springfield, Missouri. She's a great Christian woman. As a matter of fact, it was kind of awkward because my mother-in-law didn't know it until she went to this lady's house and there was a big picture of Brad Pitt on the wall. She's like, why do you have Brad Pitt on the wall? Well, he's my son. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. He, he grew up in the Baptist church. He, he knows what these answers are, but he's, what he's done is he's gone off and he's looked for other things to fill up his heart. And what he's saying there is, you know what? Nothing else is there. There, there are heart issues. We long for things to be made right. Let me just give you three of them, all right? Three heart answers. One of them is justice. We call it moral law. You think about, uh, you know, the, the Twin Towers coming down, or you think about Newtown, or you think about one of those situations where somebody did something horrible, and the immediate reaction that everybody in the world has is, that was wrong. My question for you is, Why? I mean, if, if it's survival of the fittest, then why does it matter? I didn't know anybody in the Twin Towers that went down. Not personally. 
Why would it matter to me if this is just about survival of the fittest? Yet across all continents and across all time, justice has been an important part of our fabric. Again, we call it moral law. Moral law. That's why in Rwanda, when I go and I find out about the atrocities that really happened 19 years ago, that somehow I missed out on, that nobody really knew until they made the Hotel Rwanda movie, I'm like, how does this happen? This is wrong. We can never let this happen again. What is that? That is justice. And our hearts cry out for justice. And again, I ask you, what difference does it make if Hutus and Tutsis are killing each other on a continent in another place? If it's just Darwinian evolution. I'll tell you what. The Bible says God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but God's law was woven into the very fabric of our being at creation. There is something deep within us that echoes God's yes and no, His right and His wrong. There is a moral conscience inside of all of us. And when we know that the world is out of joint, it doesn't feel good. And it's personally, when we know that the world is out of joint, it doesn't feel good. Your dog doesn't have that. Your hermit crab doesn't have that. Only people who are made in the image of God have that feeling. And it is a heart sign of God that we can look at God, that God puts something inside of us that makes us cry out for justice. C.S. Lewis, I've mentioned him a lot. He's one of my heroes. C.S. Lewis wrote Mere Christianity. It's an older book, but one of the best on this subject. First five chapters of Mere Christianity are about the issue of moral law. Basically, I'll sum it up for you. Number one, there is a universal moral law. As I said, everybody knows this. Lewis says it this way. He says, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and they cannot really get rid of it. And you know that's true. We know that there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. We know that there are physical facts like this table is black. But we also know that there are moral facts like lying is wrong and bravery is right. We know this deep down inside because there's something inside of us, a universal moral law that is there. So Lewis goes on and he says, then if there is a universal moral law, there must be a universal moral law giver because moral law won't evolve. Survival of the fittest doesn't evolve to a place where I care about what happens to somebody else. Which leads us to number three, if there is a moral law giver, if there is a moral law giver, then that must be coming from something or someone beyond the universe. I mean, mean, we can observe it all the time. We can't prove it, but it's there, and it must have come from somewhere outside of us, again, because it wouldn't have evolved. And for that, Lewis says, we have reason to be uneasy. He says, moral law is as hard as nails. It tells you to do the straight thing, and it does not seem to care how painful or how dangerous or how difficult it is for you to do. As a matter of fact, this would be a good time for me to do this. Matthew, where are you at? Matthew? Balcony? Matthew, where are you at? Will you stand up for me? Over there, where is he? Over in the corner. This is Matthew Johnson, Lieutenant in the Marine Corps. He's shipping out for Quantico this week. Would you thank him for me right now? This is perfect time for this. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. 
God, I just want to pray for Matthew as he goes. I don't know what he's going to get into. I don't know what he's going to do. But for some reason, you put inside of his heart this desire to protect my freedom. And I pray blessing on him. I pray for his family, and I just ask that you'd be with him. Keep him safe, Lord. Help him to keep us all safe. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, what just happened? Okay, I want to ask you this. What just ha- I didn't cue you. This wasn't planned. I didn't even know he was coming until half an hour ago. What would possess Matthew to say, you know what, I'm going to give up my life and I'm going to go serve my country. Many of you have done the same thing. That is nothing more than moral law. And if you are just a dog, if you are just, uh, if you are just an iguana, you are not going to go out and lay your life down for your fellow iguanians. I always have trouble with plural. I just don't know what to do with it. You're not going to do that. Now, here's what Richard Dawkins says. Again, the Einstein of our day. He was just in Time Magazine. Here's what was quoted uh, last week in Time Magazine. He said, here's how it went. We came into the world equipped with brains that were shaped by Darwinian natural selection to help us survive under wild conditions. I get that. I get that part. And then he says, our brains had abilities and mechanisms like setting up goals and reciprocating arrangements which cement our relationships with other people. Okay? So what he's saying is, yeah, we, we evolved in a wild circumstance and yes, our brains clicked into a place where we were able to set up goals and have reciprocal arrangements. I want to ask you, is there a reciprocal arrangement for Matthew to go to Quantico right now? Because, I mean, I know he's getting paid, but I know he's not getting paid near enough. He could make a lot more money doing something else. That's not true. Is there, is there a reciprocal relationship? I mean, do the, do the relationships that we have, are they reciprocal? If this is about reciprocal relationships, then why is it that every time there's a natural disaster, people all around the globe get out their checkbooks and write a check to the Salvation Army or the Red Cross? Why is that? It's because inside of us is a law that had to come from outside of us. That's one heart reason. Heart reason number two is we long for lasting relationships. I mean, we all do. We long for relationships. And I'm not talking about reciprocal relationships. Those of you that are in marriage, you know, that, that's not what marriage is. It can't be about I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine because that's not always going to work out that way. All right? But we all have this desire deep down inside. Don't look at each other. We all have this desire deep down inside that makes us want to have that. I read about this minister that was getting ready to do a wedding at the end of a service and he forgot to write the people's names down. And he couldn't remember it. And he was going to like have the benediction and then call them forward and the people that wanted to stay could stay for the wedding. It was a little quick thing. So he thought, well, the only thing he thought he could do is he said, would the people who want to get married please come forward at, after the benediction? So, you know, he bowed his head. Yeah, you see where it's going. And he, and he opened his eyes and there were 39 single ladies and 25 single guys right down front. <laughs> Sign me up, right? I mean, that's Match.com. That's how, why, why does this happen? How, how does this work? Why do we want this human connection if it's just about reciprocal relationships? Why is it that health studies show us that we are healthier when we're in community? This is why I want you to get one of these guides. I want you to get this DVD and go out there, fill out your communication card, and go out there. If you don't want to start a group, get in a group. We'll get you one. I don't care. Whatever. You need this. You know that studies even show that married men live longer than single women? They don't always want to, but they do. (laughs) 
this, this, whole, this whole idea of human relationship could only come from the voice of God. That, that's the only thing that makes sense. Again, Francis Collins, a DNA guy, way smarter than anybody in this room, said this agape love, this selfless altruism, presents a major challenge for the evolutionist. It does not make any sense. Love cannot be accounted for by the drive of individual genes to self-perpetuate. Quite the contrary. It may lead, and I quote, it may lead humans to make sacrifices that lead to great personal suffering or injury or death without any evidence of benefit. You see what I'm saying? What's really crazy... What's really crazy is I just got an article the last couple of weeks about a new atheist church that started. I'm not, make, I'm not making this up. It's an atheist church. They call it the Sunday Assembly of Everywhere. And it was started by some people in Great Britain. They have three campuses in Britain. They have one in New York, and they have one in Melbourne, Australia. And they, they have a goal. I'm not making this up. They have a goal to establish a godless congregation in every town and city and village that wants one. And you know what? I bet it takes off because the churches, the, the other church, this church, the Christian church that follows Jesus has done a pretty bad job over the last few years, over the history of time, and trying to help people connect with each other in a way that's relevant. And I bet a bunch of people do this. But my question is this. Is anybody ever going to stand up in the middle of one of their assemblies and say, why are we all here? Why do we even want to gather together in relationship with each other in the first place? I mean, why would you want that? It, it's, it's Sunday morning. You could be watching football. You could, you, know, you could be taking a nap. It's pumpkin spice latte time at Starbucks. Why are you here? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you want to gather together as a congregation? Is anybody going to ask them that? Because that doesn't make any sense to me. If there is no God that puts something inside of us to want to be connected, then it doesn't make a bit of sense. Which leads me to my last one, and I'll be done. We hunger for a spiritual connection as well. People throughout the ages have gathered together to worship something they didn't understand. Why? Because as Pascal said, there's a God-shaped hole inside of all of us. It's deep down inside of us, and we know that there's something there. It's interesting to me that everybody wants to have a connection with the spiritual and a connection with each other, because Jesus said the greatest commandments were to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how that works? Those are the two great needs that we have. And since the beginning of time, people have tried to fulfill that need by worshiping something. And we've tried to suppress it, especially in the West, especially in the 17th and 18th century. We got all smart and we tried to suppress religion. And here we are in the 21st century, and the atheists are having church, okay? I mean, does this make any sense? I mean, people are looking for spirituality in so many weird ways these days, aren't they? But that's not the point. The point is they're looking for spirituality. Why would they be looking for spirituality? Because there's something inside of me in my heart that knows that there's something else out there. That's what I'm hungry for. I, tell, I, I do the teaching on this DVD. I, I tell about the Helen Keller story. I think it's fascinating. Helen Keller had, you know, deaf, dumb, blind, could not communicate with anybody until Ann Sullivan came along and, and figured out how to make a connection with her. 
And finally, I mean, imagine being Helen Keller and being intelligent and just not having any way to communicate with anybody outside of yourself, and all of a sudden, she had a way. And Ann Sullivan was a Christian. And Ann Sullivan, after a little while of communicating, thought, you know what, at some point, I've got to tell her about God. I mean, it's it's my job as a Christian. And so Ann Sullivan one day said, Helen, I've got to talk to you about something. And she started to describe who God was. And she said, I, I, I want to introduce you to God. And Helen Keller said, good. I've been thinking about him for a long time. She'd never communicated with anybody ever in her life. But it was inside of there. Tim Keller, no relation, preacher in New York, said, Another great book, The Reason for God. We want something that nothing in this world can fulfill. Isn't that at least a clue that something that we want exists? This unfulfillable longing then qualifies as a deep, innate human desire, and that makes a major clue that God is there. There's something inside of us. C.S. Lewis said it this way, Creatures are not born with desire unless there's a satisfaction for that desire. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That is the most probable explanation because you were... I'm going to tell you that right now. And you know what? Please know, if you have doubts, we're glad you're here. As a matter of fact, theologian Paul Tillich said it this way, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It's an element of faith. If you never doubted, you haven't thought about things very long. So we welcome you and your doubts, and I want you to know that we're here. We want to help you. Another great book. I'll put all these on my blog this week so you can get them written down. Donald Miller was uh, talking, it's called Blue Like Jazz, kind of a weird title, but a great book about Christianity. Blue Like Jazz. He said he was talking to a, a friend about why he believed in God, and she was an atheist. And he said, I'd just been watching that March of the Penguins thing on TV where they talk about those crazy penguins that, you know, they lay their eggs and their husbands stand around on the eggs in the cold while the, the, the moms all go off a hundred miles away and find food in the water, in the ocean, and bring it back and happen to get back at just exactly the right moment when the eggs are hatching and the, and the eggs come and the, and the kid comes out and they feed their little baby penguin. And he said, I was watching that, and here's how I described my faith in God. He said, I, I don't know really, but it's just that I identified with them, he told her. I know it sounds crazy, but I wa- when I watched this program, I felt like one, I was one of those penguins. They had this radar inside of them that told them when and where to go, and none of it made any sense, but they show up on the very day their babies are being born, and the radar always turns out to be right. And he said, I know you don't understand it, but the radar inside of me says that I should believe in Jesus. And somehow penguin radar leads them perfectly well. Maybe it isn't so foolish that I follow the radar inside of me. He goes on to quote G.K. Chesterton. He said in his book, G.K. Chesterton says, chess players go crazy, not poets. I think he's right. In other words, sometimes you can overthink this thing. Maybe you just need to listen to this. You'd go crazy trying to explain penguins. It's just best to watch them and be entertained. I don't think you can explain how Christian faith works either. It's a mystery. And I love this about Christian spirituality. It cannot be explained, and yet it's beautiful, and it's true, and it is something you feel and it comes from your soul. Here's how this gets important as a Christian. 
Think about why Jesus came, and maybe you'll understand this just a little bit more. For one thing, Jesus came to satisfy our need for justice. Remember the three heart things? Number one was justice, moral law. How do we satisfy moral law? Well, we can't because we're all good. None of us are good enough. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And plus, there's all this bad stuff going on in the world. How can we do anything about it? Isaiah prophesies about Jesus and says this, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout out or cry out or raise his voice. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. Jesus is coming to fulfill justice. That's what he does. But he also invites us and he says, hey, let's pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how about if my followers go out and give a cup of cold water in my name? How about if my followers go out and clothe the naked and visit those who are in prison and help those who are sick? How about if my people, called Christians, go out and bring justice to the world? And do you know that's how it's always happened? Most hospitals, most charitable organizations, most, most things, most people that have helped in the realm of science and it is a well in the, in the way of bringing justice and mercy to this planet have been people who follow Jesus. And ultimately, He brings justice because He paid the price for all the sin. Second thing is, Jesus fills our void to be loved because... God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son. You can't, get, you can't love the world than, than any more than you would give your one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what love is. And Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, that He would lay down His life for His friends. Jesus came to connect us with each other and He came to connect us with God. Quite obviously, Paul said, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now you are reconciled to Christ. You are reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's where we're at today. That's how we get to live today. We get to be reconciled with God. We get to be reconciled with love, with each other. And this is how it works. So as we take communion right now, I want you to understand that Jesus came to fulfill all of those heart needs that we have. And I want to ask you to do something. If you're a believer, we're going to commune. And this is just a great reset for us. Every week we do this here. If you haven't been around Jesus for a while, will you please understand that this is a great moment for you to reconnect. You just say, Jesus, I, I, I hear you knocking. I'm opening the door. Come on back in. But if you're a skeptic and you're listening to the sound of my voice or, or you're, you're here today, will you just do one thing? Will you just say, God, if you're real, show up. God, if you're real, show up. And I'm going to pray that He does. Just open your mind and your heart just a little bit for a call of a penguin thing to happen in your mind. And I'm going to pray for you that a Bruce Almighty thing will happen in your life. And that all of a sudden, everywhere you go, little signposts are going to bring you back 
and show you who God is. That's all I'm asking. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this opportunity to commune, and and I thank you for your perfect love. I, I thank you for sending Jesus so that I could be reconciled with you, and I thank you for Jesus coming so that I could be reconciled with my brothers and my sisters for that perfect love that you loved us so much that you gave us your son. And I thank you for the fact that we're not alienated from you anymore because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And I thank you that justice could be served, but it had to be done through your son. And and, and so that's what this whole thing is all about. And and Lord, if there's a little penguin thing going on in, in the hearts of people here, will you just let them listen to it for a little while this week? Will you please just show up in some way and help them to know that you're there? For the rest of us, we will keep looking for you. I love that song. What I really love about that song, what a lot of these people don't know, is that those people that were doing those testimonies, those were their testimonies. And that beautiful girl, Kristen, who was singing that song, was in a major car accident and broke her back two years ago and still in a great deal of pain. So when we look up at the stage and we think, well, how could you know what I'm going through? It's just because we don't know what they're going through. And I know that Kristen would say, Lord, I know that she would say, you are constant. You are sovereign. You are faithful. People would look at that and say, well, how could God let that happen? And she would say, I couldn't have survived if it wasn't for my faith in God. So be with us now as we are certain of what we do not see and sure of what we hope for during communion right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.